We are starting here, ending actually, end of November, coming into December. Can you believe it's almost Christmas? You guys don't sound too thrilled, but Christmas is right around the corner. Well, we studied this particular month in our service this morning, we, uh, during our morning service, we, we talked of Jesus restoring us, Jesus opening our eyes, Jesus forgiving us. Last week, ta- Pastor Mike talked about Jesus caring for us. Well, today we're going to close the month of November with this idea that Jesus lives for us. This may be review for some of us who have been believers for a long period of time. But for those that maybe are new to the faith, that are visiting here, Scripture tells us there is only one reason that Jesus went to the cross, and that was to pay for our sins. Plain and simple. His resurrection assures of our ultimate victory over death. See, simply put, Jesus died so that we would have an experienced life with him, him living in us through his Holy Spirit, that someday the hope that we have of being within heaven is sure. Amen? Church, come on, you got to get excited. This is, this is our hope. This is our faith. Our faith is about having to come to a point in our life where we understand that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And all of us, hopefully here, that are here this morning, have come to that point. We understand that we deserved hell, we deserved death, but because of what Jesus has done for us, we can put our faith and trust in him. There's a broad understanding. When you say you're a Christian, it's a very, very big definition, isn't it? But what does Christian mean? It means that you are a what? A Christ follower. Don't call yourself a Christian if your life does not emulate Christ. We know probably many of those individuals in our world. We know many individuals at our jobs, maybe in our community. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? It really means biblically that you are following Jesus. You have put your faith and trust in Christ, and you are following him. The most important person the world has ever seen. So I'm going to give you a word, and I know it's going to come to mind, but for those that are athletes and basketball players here, the word goat. When I say the word goat, does this come to mind? Good. Then maybe I'm not alone. Goat is, yes, an animal. But in the athletic world, if I was to ask Tony or Junior here, goat is the greatest of all time. So if you have a conversation with any basketball player, the conversation is, who is the best basketball player of all time? Is it LeBron James? No. Is it Michael Jordan? No, I, we, we won't get in that conversation this morning. I think, I think Tony and I agree with who's the best of all time. But that's the conversation. We could sit here for hours and talk about this. But who am I in my 48 years of life can tell you who the greatest of all time was? For those individuals that are here that remember Wilt Chamberlain, who remembers Wilt Chamberlain? Wow, okay. Or Bill Russell. You guys in your mid-70s, you have a better perception of who the greatest of all times was. Isn't it kind of foolish to kind of determine here in our life who is the greatest of all time? It is. Because none of us in this room have the perception of all time. Even though Michael Jordan is. No, I didn't say that. But who is the greatest person that ever lived? It's Jesus. 
Our whole world system is centered around Jesus' birth, his death, his resurrection. And someday, all of us will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we will give an account of what we've done. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the greatest of all time. He's the greatest of all time. And so this morning as we think about that particular focusing on who Jesus is, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 this morning. 1 John chapter 3. So for those that are visiting with us, when we study the Bible, I know sometimes you look at the Bible, it's like, man, there's a lot of stuff in here and it speaks in a language I don't really understand. I know, I hear you. I hear you. When I was growing up, I mean, there's some times like, I don't understand this. But here's the good news. We look at the Bible. Bible is God's very word given to us as, huma- as humans to follow, to live, to learn about who this Jesus is. And so just like if you remember uh, uh, writing a book review, how many remember writing book reports in school? I hated them things. I would find the, the, the smallest book of like 50 pages and like, okay, and read the back of it. And so we had to tell a little about, about the author as well. Well, when we study the Bible, we do the same thing. We look, we're in 1 John. And so what we're going to do this morning, just real quick, just we want to bring you along with us to talk about who John was, what he was talking about, who he was talking to. And it kind of puts to sense what... Parts of the Bible talk about, and we can learn and take application from, okay? So that's what we're going to do this. We're just going to give you a little bit of history. All right, and history is like, I hate history too. No, I love history, but that's part of the Bible. So who wrote the book of 1 John? Wow. Good. 1 John. He wrote, John. John wrote the book of 1 John. Exactly. Well, we understand that John was one of the disciples of Jesus. Actually, he was in Jesus' inner circle. If you read of any story of Jesus, there were three particular disciples that were right there with him all the time. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. James and John were brothers. They were called to Jesus. They followed Jesus at the same point in their life. We can see stories of Jesus. We think of, of Mark 5 and Jairus' daughter. When Jesus was going to heal, raise her from the dead, who did he bring with him? Peter, James, and John. We think of the transfiguration in Matthew 17. Who did Jesus take up the mountain with him? Peter, James, and John. And I remember this, this particular story of Jesus hanging on a cross, looking at John, saying, Behold your mother. Jesus was giving John, John, this is now take care of my mom. My earthly mother, take care of her. So Peter, James, and John were in that inner circle. All of us here. We have maybe on Facebook, you may have 2,000 friends. You probably had two friends in real life. Hopefully a little bit more than that. But you have an inner circle of friends that you call and that you do life with. And you're calling and you're texting and you are doing life with them. They're crying with you. They're celebrating with you. Well, look at this as Jesus having these three particular disciples that he is pouring into. He is doing ministry with them. He is training them for when he is gone to heaven. So John was in an inner circle of Jesus. Well, what, what do we know about John? He was the son of Zebedee. Who was Zebedee? He was a fisherman. He had a fishing business. And so James and John, his sons, inherited that and followed in their father's lifestyle. How many, how many in here are doing what your father did as a job? 
Well, that was a mute illustration this morning. No, Pastor Frank's a good example. His dad was a tailor. Well, he ended up sewing for a living. That's why you didn't get a black sweatshirt, man. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's a good job. But you see, you follow your father. So James and John followed their father. Another term that they're given in Scripture is sons of what? Sons of thunder. They weren't large people that bounced around that made thunder. No. They had anger issues. They were hot-tempered. And particularly this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus and his disciples were walking from, from Jerusalem to Samaria. And Samaria, so they wouldn't let them through their town. And what did John say? John said, hey, Jesus, let's, let's just pour, let's call fire down from heaven and let's just nuke them. Wow. And it says there in that passage of Scripture that Jesus rebuked them. But you look at the young John, the young fisherman who was a little zealous and a little hot under the collar. But by the time of Jesus' end of Jesus ministry, guess what John was known as? John was known as the apostle of what? The apostle of love. Actually, the, uh, the, end of the apostle that was beloved by Jesus. You think John learned some things around Jesus? About what love is? Yeah, absolutely. And so first John was written by John. That's who John is. Now we see him in this particular book. This is actually, first John is the last book chronologically written in the New Testament. I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. My Bible says Revelation. Well, God planned it that way, and it works out perfect the way Revelation ends. We're in heaven with Jesus. Like, yay, you know, it ends good. But chronologically, Revelation was written about 90 A.D. First John was written about 100 A.D. So this is the last New Testament book written in the Bible. And guess what? John wrote about 20% of the New Testament. Who wrote, for, who wrote the most of the New Testament? Wrong. I know, it was like, oh, heresy, get out from the church, right? No. Word for word, grammatical, word for word, letters, words in the book of the Bible, in the New Testament, Greek analytical words, Luke wrote the most words in the New Testament at 27%. Paul comes in second at 25%, and John comes in at third at 20%. I learned that this week. I would say the same thing. Paul, because I think he wrote so many books, but they go by the word. What we see here, John, is an older man here. He's an elderly man. He's living in Ephesus. And history tells us, um, in the books of Eusebius and Josephus, tell us that John would be carried from church service to church service, giving a benediction. Remember, he is the, the last living apostle. And so the church wants to hear from this guy. He was with Jesus. He was taught by Jesus. He was in Jesus' inner circle. And it would carry him from church service to church service to give the benediction. You know what he said? The only thing he would say in each church was this, Beloved, love one another. Okay, he's done. Carry him back out. That wasn't the whole service. You're like, man, I need to go to a church like that, man. Be done. No, but he would go and be carried to each service. And history tells us that an elder of the church went to the apostle John and said this. said, John, listen, you have the mic. You can close out the service. You can give us your words of wisdom. Why in the world is that all you say to the believers? And John's simple response was this. If that is all they do, it is enough love one another if that is all they do love one another and so this text this morning 
encourages us to do that. But we love one another knowing what Jesus has done for us. And that love pours out of us so people know who our Savior is. People know who we're following. And so as we get into our message this morning, I want you to think about your life. What are you putting out there for the world? Are you calling yourself a Christian? Does the love of God pour out of you? Do people know that your life reflects that of someone of Jesus who loves Jesus? Let's start at verse 11, 1 John chapter 3. If you're visiting with us today, the scripture will be on the screen in, 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 in front of you. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Again, this is John talking to the church. Let me, let, let me just stop there and just remind you, who is John talking to? He's talking to the church of Ephesus. Do you remember the book of Ephesians? Paul was talking to the Christians there at Ephesus. Well, here is John, 30 years removed, talking to the children and grandchildren of that church of Ephesus. And they're dealing with the same issues. Gnosticism, false teachings coming in. And what, did, what was Ephesus known for in Revelation chapter 2? Losing, they lost their first love. And what's John trying to get these young people to say? Listen, love one another. Love one another. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's is righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers. The world hates you. He comes right out of the gate saying, listen, don't be surprised. We're supposed to love one another. But don't be surprised. Because you're a follower of Jesus, that the world's not going to, the world's going to hate you. See, during this time, opposition, folks were being turned against with their friends. They were persecuted, ostracized, discriminated against because of their faith in Jesus. Maybe some of us have encountered that in our life. See, belonging to Jesus means we no longer belong to the world. I know maybe some of us are thinking, okay, so what does that mean? I, yeah, we live in the world, but what does the Gospels tell us? We're not of the world. We're not of the world. I love what he says, and John says in chapter 15, if the world hates you, Jesus said this, if, G, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Think about this for one moment, brothers and sisters. What is your involvement in the world? I'm not saying you're supposed to be this hated individual when you go to work, like, oh, there's a guy, get it back. No. But when you stand up for things that are pure and holy and just, when you don't talk the way the world does, when you don't act the way they do, do you get kind of like a weird eye, like you have three heads? Or are you just part of the group, part of the gang? Hey, no, come on, we're going over here. Hey, he's just one of the guys. She's one of the gals. There needs to be a difference. Shouldn't there? Shouldn't there? See, the human heart by our nature is rebellious against God. Romans chapter 3. None of us have gone after God. We all despised him in our depravity. So we always say, oh, I'm a good person. I've been a Christian all my life. Is that a false statement? Yeah. Because as we learned two weeks ago, that we were conceived in sin. We were conceived in sin. And it's only what we're going to talk about this morning, that that is turned around because of Jesus. I think there's three characteristics this morning we want to touch on that show that we are truly 
lovers of Jesus, lovers of God. First one is this. The evidence of love is, the evidence of life is love. The evidence of life is love. Look at verses 14 through 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life. What does that pass the scripture mean? We, in our sin, were dead in our sins. Before Jesus came in and changed our life, we were dead in our sins. All of us. And we are now, we accepted Jesus Christ into our life. We put our faith and trust in him. We now are living in life, aren't we? Dead in our sins, walking in death. Now with Jesus, we are life. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And again, he's referencing back to that, that illustration of Cain. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So John's focus here is this. Listen, we were walking dead in our sins. Now Jesus is saved and we are now new creatures in Christ because of what Jesus has done. We walk differently. We look differently. We talk differently. We love one another. So let me ask you these questions. These are very, very simple, basic questions. How do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? Don't answer that. Think about it. How do you know that? Number question two. How do you know you have eternal life? See, some of us in here have been Christians since we've been young kids. We've asked Christ into our life. We're saved, brought up in the church. Maybe some of us jumped on our parents' coattail and think that we're saved and we're really not. What's the evidence in your life? That you're a follower of Jesus. Is it coming in these doors each week? Is that a sign? The answer is no. <laughs> is giving money to the church a sign? No. Think about it. But sometimes in, our Christian, in, in, in the Christian faith, that's what people think. I'm good. Yeah, I know that Jesus, he was a pretty, pretty, pretty important guy, but I'm doing my thing. That's not what scripture tells us. There is evidences of Christ's love in your life that pours out in your everyday life because of what Jesus has done for you. See, many people claim to be a Christian, but truly don't know Jesus. Many individuals say that they are headed to heaven. I mean, think about it. If you ask anyone tomorrow at work or at school, hey, where are you going to go when you die? Does anyone say, yeah, I'm going straight to hell? No one says that. Why? Everyone thinks they're good enough to get, because I know when I stand before God, God's going to let me into heaven because I was just such a good person. Scripture tells us we're not good, are we? Even on our best days. But we need something. You're maybe here today and you're like, man, I, I think I'm good. I've done a lot of good things. I, I, I hear you. I, I have too. But none of that goodness comes back to me. It all goes back to Jesus. See, we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he takes care of our sin. And we no longer are indebted to that lifestyle anymore because of Jesus. We have to act a part as Christians. Some of my basketball guys here, there's some guys that come Thursday nights at play. And I'll talk to uh, Julius, isn't here this morning, but Julius, the guy's been with me for many, many years in our ministry. And I'll say, hey, who's that guy who just came in the door? He's like, I don't know. I mean, he looked the part, man. He, had, he, was dressed, you know, he was dressed in all the clothes. I was like, oh, okay, let's watch this guy, see what he does. Julius, Julius is like, yeah, yeah, he does, yeah let's, let's still watch him. As soon as he shoots the ball, he looks at me and, goes, and starts laughing. Why? Because he has no game. 
You can dress the part, but not really have game. The same illustration is us in the Christian faith. We can look the part. We can do all the good things. But you're not a Christian. The love of Christ is not flowing out of you because you no, never possessed the love of Christ. The evidence of life is love. Not life how we live it, the life in Christ. And we're going to get there in a moment of what that means. What does that love look like? Well, look at 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brother. It leads us to our second point. The knowledge of love is Christ. You want to know how to love someone? Look at Jesus. If you want to know how to treat someone, look at Jesus. So that's just pretty, that's pretty simple. It is. For us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, for us to love any other way, there is no other way. Look at the life of Jesus, three and a half years of ministry here on earth. What did he do? What did he do with everybody he came in contact with? He loved them. Yes, sometimes had to speak hard things to them. He loved them. Even on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's easy to love people that are likable. How about those enemies? Scripture tells us that we are to love our enemies too, aren't we? With that love that Jesus showed for us. Romans 5, 8, 5, 8. But God demonstrated he showed his love for us. When? While we were still sinners. While we, was, we were still rebels against God, he died for us. He wasn't saying, okay, listen, you get your act together and then I'm going to die. No, he died for us in the act of our sin because he loved us. John 15, 13 says, no greater love than this, and someone lays down his life for his friend. What a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for us. So the knowledge of love, our knowledge about love should come out of Jesus Christ. There's a third point this morning, third evidence this morning I want to get to. See, the evidence of life is love. The knowledge of love is through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the practice of love. See, John here in this epistle, and through his epistles, he's talking about love each other, love one another. The practice of love is sacrificial. Look at verses 17 and 18. If anyone has world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, he used that word a lot. It's not a degrading phrase. He's an elderly man. He's saying, listen, little, little children, listen to me. He's like a grandfather speaking to his grandchildren. Let us love in word. So sorry, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, we can say we love, but what is your action? What is your action? See, God loved us enough he sent Jesus to die for us. What if God loved us but there was no action behind his love? Where would we be? On the road straight to hell. Right? God's love, I love you, I'm demonstrating, I'm showing you by doing this, by sending my only son to come and take care of your sin problem. So you, and in turn, regardless if you want it or not, 
can have a relationship with me. Wow, that is love. If sacrificial, number two, is visible. We can, we read about it. People seen it happen. We've seen God's love demonstrated through his son, Jesus. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I love what James said in James 2.15. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? It's like going to a homeless person who needs a jacket. Hey, stay warm. Hey, hey, get, 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 get a lunch full. Get, get, get a lunch here and don't give them anything to take care of the, their, their hunger need. What good is that, right? But how many times as in our Christian faith, we say we love God. We say that we want to love like Jesus, but our life does not reflect that. Love one another. Care for one another. Look at verse 19. By this we shall know we are all of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. That word there, confidence, is boldness. We have boldness before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. When you get up in the morning... What is the first thing that is on your mind? Are you seeking to please God in all that you say and do? I hope that it is. That when you get out of bed and, and after you kind of move your muscles around a little bit to wake up for some of us, God, I want, I want to please you. God, I, I want to show your love to people. And you know, why do, we, why do we want that? Why? Because when we show love, when we act out what we say we have, what does that give us opportunity to do? To proclaim Christ's love for us. Why do you do that? Hey, tell me, tell me, why did you give that? Why are you so happy? Why, why, why? And guess what? First Peter chapter 3, we can give the reason, the hope that lies within us. That's why we show love. That's why we care for one another. That's why we want what John says, love one another. When we love one another, that's just Jesus coming through us. That's Jesus coming through us. There's two words I want to just end with this morning. Trust and faith. For me, many of us here, we put our trust in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? We are, anything else in our life, we are putting aside. We're saying, Jesus, I am putting everything on you. I am trusting you with my life. I believe in you. I have faith in you. I can't see you. But I know what your word says, and I believe it. And I am going to give you my life. You came into this room this morning, and you didn't check the chair when you sat down, did you? Lou, Lou, Lou did it, right? You checked the bottom of that chair, make sure there's no legs missing, right? No, you didn't. We have faith when we come in. We sat on this chair, not a question, right? I did. But for some of us, we can't. We say, I have faith, but I don't know if I can have faith in something I can't see. That's the beauty about faith. That's the beauty about having faith in Jesus Christ. Because he will not let you down. When you call upon the name of the Lord, guess what scripture tells us? You will be saved. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to come to church a couple times before you pray. You, and you don't even have to be at church to call upon the name of the Lord. 
I was sitting on my dad's lap in the living room in Lansdale, Pennsylvania when I called out to God. And if I go around the room here, there's probably a gazillion different places that people called upon the name of the Lord. And maybe you're here today. And your life is maybe a mess. Maybe you're not sure what's going on in your life. You're, like, you're, you're just searching for something. Well, I'm going to tell you, there's someone that would love for you to call upon his name. And his name is Jesus. He will change your life. Will trials and struggles be there? Yep. They will. Life is not a bed of roses. But you know what? Jesus will be there to walk you through all those struggles and trials. He will comfort you. He will guide you. See, he's calling someone right now. He's calling someone right now. All right? Okay. See, wasn't that a great icebreaker with the phone ringing? Perfect. Thank you, God. That's a great illustration. 1 John 3.23, and this is his command, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Listen, our first, our, it goes back to the, Mark chapter 12. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You believe in Jesus Christ. You put your faith and trust in him. You ask him to come into your life, change you, forgive you of your sin, and he will do just that. He will do just that. And then as his spirit comes into us and lives through us, guess what? Then we love one another. And we care for one another. And we show the love of Jesus Christ each and every day of our life. Church, sometimes we need to be reminded of what Jesus' love means for us today. Yes, we're going to heaven. Yes, it's, we, we, we accept the forgiveness of sin. We, we, we live a life, but it doesn't end there. We share that love is coming out through us to live so other people can see that. Are you a Christian? Not by word, but hopefully by deed. We good? Understand? And if you're here today, you're visiting, you have questions about that, we love to talk to you. We love to introduce you to this Jesus. He will change your life. He will change your life for the good. Right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done. Um, thank you for just a reminder in Scripture, particularly of what you have done for us. This month we learned of all the things you've done for us. Thank you so much, God. I mean, we never forget that in your precious name. Amen. Well, this time we're going to just we're going to just honor some of the guys that are here that uh, played in our, our league. I just want to kind of explain here what our basketball ministry looks like here at Faith. So for past eight nine years, we've had Thursday night open gym, and so Thursday.